When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, we're going to talk about when you are in a Mr. Perfect and his crazy wife dynamic, which is something that I came up with many years ago and I've written posts about and podcasts about, and it makes you, the quote, crazy wife, feel emotionally unprotected. And a lot of women are not good at verbalizing and articulating how they feel, so they just know that they feel really bad around their husband and often if they react in a volatile way, they assume that that's just because they're crazy and they're depressed or maybe they're borderline like they secretly fear. And, um, you know, the guy's just perfect and he's doing what everybody would do. And if you've grown up in a dysfunctional house, then you may well not see how the man is contributing to the dynamic, even though you see it in the moment when you fight. So we'll get into that um, in a second, after I tell you to subscribe. My most recent subscriber episode was on how remarriage, getting divorced and remarried, gives you a totally different perspective on what it's like to be a good partner versus a good parent. Because when you remarry, you can no longer say that taking care of your own biological children is somehow you being a good partner to your second spouse. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. So at that point, it throws into real relief how silly that idea is. And I discussed that at length in the subscriber episode, as well as over 132 or three or four subscriber episodes by now. So you should definitely be subscribing. Well worth the $8.99 a month. Okay, so in a Mr. Perfect and his crazy wife dynamic, which is something I see often, although, um, you know, you're not going to resonate with that term if, if you've not heard it before in my stuff. So it's kind of like a little version of the narcissist borderline dynamic. So narcissists and borderlines are drawn to each other. That's why it's so funny when guys are always like, my wife's a total borderline. It's like, well, shit, what do you think that means about you? And I have a podcast about that. Extreme preoccupied slash avoidant attachment is like a little version, or it is really, the narcissist borderline dynamic. So anyway, you could listen to that. But in this, it's like the guy is like so great. He like makes a lot of money. He's a good dad. And for some reason, though, she always has a problem with him. And nobody else in his life has a problem with him. Well, of course, because nobody really has problems with people who are not severely disordered. You know, like most people can have a job and friends and all sorts of shit. But their stuff, whatever their stuff is, comes out with the intimate partner. I mean, that's how people are because that's who triggers you. So what are these kinds of behaviors that the guy does? And the woman frequently feels like he doesn't really love her. Even though he says, I love you, he doesn't act like he really loves her in her mind. But then he can convince her. And again, he's not trying to, quote, gaslight her. There's no gaslighting in usual relationships, even by narcissists. You know, narcissists are just people. And borderline personality disorder just means you were a sensitive child raised in an invalidating home. And uh, these are all human beings. And 
Most human beings that are not actual psychopaths or sociopaths, which neither narcissists nor borderlines are, uh, they don't try to, like, wake up and say, how am I going to fuck with someone today? I mean, that just literally is crazy to think, and it doesn't happen. So the guy in all of these things that I'm going to describe, he is not trying to gaslight her. She may say that, and of course that makes her sound even, quote, crazier, because he knows he's not trying to do anything. Anything that he does is completely subconscious, and it's from how he grew up seeing a parent treat another parent, as the stuff that she does comes from that same template. But what kind of behaviors do these guys engage in that really do make the women feel emotionally unprotected, right? So a couple are, for example, teasing. So the guy will tease her. She's so sensitive, but for some reason, and he'll probably do this with the kids too, he still teases her about things that she's sensitive about, but he's always, quote, just kidding, and she's so sensitive. And she feels completely emotionally unsafe around him because he makes fun of her. And the way that he makes fun of her isn't like particularly horrible, but she's literally told him that she doesn't like it and he still does it. He says that's what a relationship should be is that we can joke around with each other. Again, he's not trying to gaslight her. From his perspective, he's an avoidant attachment person that feels she tries to be too close. That's uncomfortable to him. And so he's trying to push away and he can't do that consciously Sometimes he does. He says, like, I need my space. We're together too much. I need to go be able to live my life. You know, other women can stay alone. Like, why? what's wrong with you? Why do you get so upset? You know, but sometimes it's subconscious where he's just trying to push away even in just the moment. So a good way to push away is to make her upset, which he says, you know, swears up and down he doesn't want to do. And he truly doesn't. He would like if she were... He thinks he would. He wouldn't actually be attracted to another avoidant, but he thinks he would be attracted to a woman who was just chill and laid back and loved, you know, them just joshing each other and making fun of each other all the time. In reality, both of these people, Mr. Perfect slash avoided and his crazy wife slash the preoccupied woman, they both would only be attracted to each other, at least until they get more mentally healthy and they recognize what they're doing, because that is what they both saw growing up was one partner One parent, rather, the pursuer, and one the distancer. So that's what makes sense to them, and that's what confirms their way of viewing the world. He feels that women are intrusive and difficult and can't live with them, can't live without them. And she thinks that, you know, you just have to pine and pine for your divine true love. And hopefully if you're, you know, good enough and close enough and stay around long enough, then the avoidant man, the man who never wanted to commit will, will turn around and be the loving partner that you always wish you could turn a caregiver into in terms of being an attentive and responsive caregiver. So go back to my attachment style podcast. If this stuff uh, confuses you, you have to then go back and learn more about preoccupied and avoidant attachment. But anyway, so teasing is a big one. Then there's basically allying with other people. So this can come out in different ways. So, for example, the guy can always take the kid's side over the mom and, like, roll his eyes and kind of act like she's being crazy. And um, and this doesn't mean, like, she's, like, like smacking the kid out of anger and she's, like, is like beating the child and he takes the child away to really protect the child, obviously, do that, you know, of course, and then, you know, reconsider remaining there. But I'm talking about a situation where it's like basically a battle of wills. He will always side with the child and find more uh, validity in the child's perspective and basically embarrass the mother by siding with the child, embarrass his wife, that is. 
uh, also it can happen in, in the friend group. So this dynamic, this couple with this dynamic does very poorly out with friends because he'll do things like repeat what she says. Like she'll be trying to say something like, like to the side to him and he'll like repeat it to the group so that everybody can kind of laugh about it or interrogate it. So she'll say, oh, I, I think I want to go home soon. And he'll be like, what was that? You're not having fun. And again, he's not doing it expressly to humiliate her on a conscious level. That's not why he's doing it. But he, in that moment, feels resentful that yet again, she wants to take him away from the fun. That's how he sees her as the death of all fun and always trying to just get him alone. And it's super uncomfortable for him. So then he wants to kind of use the friend group almost to be like, oh, no, you should stay. You really want to go home? Like that sort of thing. And of course, that makes her feel unprotected because she was trying to talk to him as a couple, like just within the couple, and he's turning it outward to everybody else, thus showing that anything that she says to him is going to go into public. So that's obviously something that feels embarrassing, and it feels emotionally unsafe to be with somebody who's just going to kind of tell everybody what you say. And sometimes he tells the friend group stuff that she said in confidence and then later says he has no idea that she wouldn't have wanted that shared. Now, on some level, if it was a multiple choice test and he got a million dollars for the right answer, he might be able to know that she didn't want it shared. But in the moment, again, he feels subconsciously motivated to push away from her and basically ally with anybody else. And uh, this is because intimacy feels difficult for him. He was raised seeing a family where there was not a lot of intimacy between the parents. Next one. Um... So these guys really do invalidate the woman's feelings in terms of if, if she thinks she's depressed. For example, these guys will be like, you're not depressed. You just sit around the house too much, you know, or, yeah, you're so depressed. But, you know, you went out with your friend the other week. So how depressed are you? Or I'm depressed, too. You know what? Then I'm depressed. But I still go to work every day. You know, that sort of thing. Or if she has like a health, a real a medical, of course, depression's a medical health issue, but you know what I mean? Even if she has like, a, uh, I don't know, breaks her leg, you know, like he'll usually say, well, you know, yes, he's empathic in theory, but you know, I mean, she could still do stuff. And of course I wouldn't really have to stay home from work or anything. If I had a broken leg, you know, I'd be fine and blah, blah, blah. So minimizes her difficulties. And this also, of course, makes her feel emotionally unsafe because he's literally invalidating how she feels and telling her that she's crazy. Now, a woman who's drawn to a man that does this, usually this was done again in her family of origin, either between parents or to her by one parent. So she could have been a teenager saying to her mother, um, I'm really depressed. And the mother's like, yeah, well, who isn't, you know, and then just walked out of the room. And so that, of course, you get married to the same kind of thing. Or the mother was laying around on the couch with a bottle. And instead of the father thinking that she is an alcoholic who needs treatment, saying, yeah, mom's lazy, you know. So if you see somebody get invalidated as a child or if you yourself are, then you're drawn instinctively to somebody who does this. And the reason he's doing this is, again, he does not want the intimacy of having to be in a caretaker role. He doesn't want to feel that she's struggling because then he might feel guilty if he's not there for her. He doesn't want to be, quote, there for her. He doesn't want her to invade any more of his emotional space. So then he pushes it away. Now, sometimes these guys can be really good with physical problems that are temporary, like she has the flu. He can really understand she has the flu, but something like chronic depression, he just 
you know, and he too has, by the way, been trained to, you know, be a textbook achiever and to squelch down any sort of vulnerability and just do anything anyway. So if she can't, if she doesn't have the physical or mental uh, ability to do that because she's struggling with a disorder, then he feels that she's bullshitting. He genuinely feels like she's lying, you know, oh, she's so depressed, but yet she had a phone call with her mom, you know, so like the, the littlest thing. And as I've discussed, women have atypical depression more frequently and with atypical depression and have a podcast on that, your mood, um, does increase. It gets better temporarily in response to positive events. So this is a real classic one that I see is that the woman struggles with atypical depression, but he points out times that she's been happy and says, basically implies that she's using her depression as an excuse. When in reality, that is the nature of the depression. For a few minutes, for a few hours, she can be on adrenaline and her mood will lift, but then she crashes back down, okay? And so also uh, another big one is in the early stages of having a baby, the woman, I just actually saw and I shared on my Facebook profile, so you guys should all follow me on Facebook, of course, I'm sure most of you do, um, about protected sleep being necessary for women, especially if they have postpartum depression or anxiety and how, and I, I knew this shit like instinctively when I had my babies, like I always had my husband helping until the third one who co-slept. So then I could, uh, nurse kind of in the middle of the night without waking up. But as a first time mom, I was like way too anxious to keep the baby in the room, um, or to keep the baby in the bed, breast sleeping, they call it. And um, so I wanted the baby in the crib and then the waking up all the time after about a week of that, I really felt like I was going to go out of my mind. And so my husband did at least some of the night feedings, which at that point, and that was already 13 years ago, that was my then husband. Um, that was a big deal. You know, a lot of women's husband wouldn't do it at all. And so this article was talking about how protected sleep, having at least a four to six hour window where you do not have the monitor in the room and cannot be woken is super important for women, especially if they're struggling with postpartum depression or anxiety, because sleep is so reparative for mental health and so protective for mental health. And if you don't get your sleep, it basically can spin you into a really crazy feeling stage. And most women know that, you know, from times where they've had to go without sleep. And if you're already somebody who struggles with mental health issues, it can really uh, push you over the edge, right? And of course, there are those horrible stories about women struggling with postpartum who, you know, like did terrible things to themselves and their kids. And, you know, lack of sleep really contributes to the likelihood of that. And people are starting to realize that more now, you know? And so, but the more avoidant guys will be like, yeah, well, I have a job. So, you know, you're going to do this. God knows you don't do much during the day with the baby. Look at this house. Looks like a fucking mess, you know? So um, I guess you're getting up at night and you can nap when the baby naps. Now, some of the Mr. Perfect guys will, in fact, get up with the baby and all of that. But if she then is still tired, because, of course, she's nursing or, or she's sleeping very you know, badly, even when she has the protected sleep and the hormones are racing and women just need more sleep than men. Look that up. That's scientific fact. Um, but then he will be like, what's wrong with you? I did the feeding last night. You know, why are you tired? 
So basically the, the theme here is it's a lot of invalidation and not really understanding what it is to be an emotional partner. And the woman, who is the preoccupied attachment woman here, acts crazy in response to this. She follows him around and she tells him that he's not nice and that he doesn't really love her. And, you know, people don't even know how he acts. And maybe this is because of his childhood. And, you know, he, there's just something that's missing. And why can't he just be nice? And, you know, just follows him around, pursuer, distancer style, her being the pursuer. And but then when she stops doing that, she feels embarrassed about her behavior and feels like, of course, you know, maybe she is the problem, the sole problem as she's always feared because she grew up, you know, with low self-esteem and everybody around them thinks he's just a great guy and just the nicest guy because they don't see a videotape of how cold he can be. And when these couples come in, the woman is very anxious always that I will side with the husband. You know, she's very, very anxious that I will just think that she's a lunatic and completely side with him. And he's just this great guy that makes good money and is an involved father and an extrovert and has all these friends. And meanwhile, she's somebody who struggles and has always had depression or anxiety and is an introvert or maybe doesn't have to be an introvert. I'm just saying, like, isn't as classically, quote, perfect. And, you know, of course, as we go through couples counseling, it's quite obvious. I mean, all the time, 100% of the time, it's due to both people. You know, a dynamic is just that. It's a dynamic between two people and it's co-created. And so in this sort of scenario, the man has to realize that a lot of his behavior is like kind of fucked up, you know, and unintentionally so, but a lot of it is designed to basically say, I am me and you are you, and I do not want to have to deal with your shit, and I do not know why you have so much shit to deal with. And that's going to make everything worse, you know? And then on her end, as she develops more confidence and and more kind of self-compassion, she can understand, you know, which of her behaviors are just literally designed as pursuit behaviors and which time she actually does need comfort and how to communicate a need for comfort in a more healthy and adaptive way, even when you've not seen that. And sometimes, quite honestly, these marriages do not last after the children are older because at that point, the woman has uh, learned to communicate more effectively, but he still just wants to do his own thing. You know, and he doesn't really like, uh, you know, talking about feelings. And it was a lot easier for him to justify that he didn't like talking about feelings when she was screaming them at him. You know, I mean, it's pretty easy to see why then you don't want to talk about feelings. But when she learns, you know, to calm down and to say, oh, I wish that, you know, we would just hang out more. And I wish that you were to be more, let's say, complimentary or whatever. And then he see it still kind of makes him cringe and stuff. And he still doesn't do it. Then, you know, sometimes she loses interest. But before that, there is, of course, a window for change. I talk about this all the time. And it's when both people are motivated by external variables and still feel in love with each other. Great time to come in for counseling is when you still have young kids or at least kids in the house. And when you still feel that there is some love between you. If it gets to the point that both people are like, Jesus Christ, like we just can't get along. We're in parallel life land. Then, you know, then there's really kind of no point. I've seen few couples come back from that brink, but I've seen way more that are still engaged in some sort of conflict, honestly, because that means that they give a shit, you know, still enough to at least fight about it. So anyway, um, and that, of course, never means that it's a good thing to fight in front of your kids. Some people will be like, ha ha, 
I knew it, you know, I knew that fighting in front of the kids teaches them marital, you know, teaches them conflict resolution. It does not. I talk about that on myriad podcasts. That is not good. Don't do that. What I mean is that if you still even feel angry at your spouse, not that you need to express that in front of your children ever, but if you still do, then you should get into couples counseling before you stop even feeling angry with them. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this and I will talk to y'all soon. Have a great day.